Hello and welcome to Path to Power, episode 10. I'm Matt Cooper. And I'm Ivan Yates. Today we're going to be focusing on the two referendums which take place next Friday. This is our last opportunity to do so. So we're going to talk at length about the family referendum and about the carers referendum. But there are lots of other things we want to talk about as well. Nature restoration bill been passed in European Parliament, how our MEPs are voting in Ukraine, further news on the selection of candidates by the parties for the European elections. And I think Ivan wants to get back to the disqualified drivers as well. But we will start before we get into the referendums because Ivan still wants to get back to the subject of RT. Has it not all become a bit boring this week? Has it not all got a bit tangled in the weeds with Catherine Martin in front of the Eructus Committee for three hours? Well, it was it was it was that way last September. Uh, so you know, it, it's at this stage running longer than Coronation Street. But well, Coronation I, I, Street has entertainment value, <laughs> exactly. Well, just just a few postscript comments. Um, I think there was a narrative tried to be created by RT. Let's all feel sorry for Shun uh, this day last week, and actually, it didn't. It didn't get any traction with the public. Insofar as that, like, what was she conceivably doing at any stage, covering up anything uh, to the minister, not being explicit? Because you know, as I told you, the cover your ass principle applies to her. Uh, so I, I actually thought that uh, there was no one and I saw I watched some of the committee directly and Timmy Dooley I, I thought in vain tried to you know say poor Shun and the minister was at fault but everyone else I think very quickly came to the conclusion that she deserved to be sacked okay. uh, the, the, yeah. the other point I would just make on it is that I, I just think it's getting more and more difficult for Backhurst he comes out to this RTE protest Instead of saying, you know, why are you all not at work? You know what I mean? Uh, you're on the company's dime here. Sorry, uh, they, they are allowed a lunch break. Well, okay. And, and, and he thanked them for coming out. And then his, he said his job is to restore trust. No, your job is to make them solvent again. You know what I mean? I actually don't think they get it. Okay, well, there's a couple of things. I want to come back to what you said last week about the chair um, and what is needed in relation to the chair. Because... There was quite a lot of speculation since we did the podcast last week. Lots of names been thrown up, one or two serving members of the board, one or two people who are academics who also would have had political interaction. All very, very good, talented people with a lot of skills, but they don't have the skills that you identified last week, which is about major financial restructuring to make RT fit for purpose for the future as media is going, which makes me wonder as to, you know, do people really get it as yet? And I think the key decision for Catherine Martin for restoring a degree of her credibility is who she actually gets to be the next chair. Look, this can be summed up in one sentence, this latest episode. There are four people who were actually found not really fit for purpose. Some had actually got involved in egregious things and they went around giving them huge payoffs. You know, I mean, like that just would not happen in any other organisation. I don't know about that. You see, I've been thinking about that and I've been actually asking lawyers about this as well. It's very, very hard to sack somebody from a senior position. You've got to show that they've either you know, broken laws or that they have been woefully incompetent in their job, which is a matter of judgment and the rest of it. So what happens? And I think it happens a lot of the time. Say if a new chief executive takes over a major organisation, they decide they need to change the management. They don't like somebody who might have been passed over for the top job. 
payoffs get made all the time. And if you go to the Workplace Relations Commission, you'll get large payments made and you'll have the embarrassment of things been done in public. So I think what actually what has happened, and I'm not excusing or defending the amounts that are involved, but I think is that not the reality of the real world? Well, often when you have two candidates going for a top job, like in 2016, when D Forbes and Backhurst were going for the job, the disappointed party just walks off the pitch and doesn't get a penny. That sounds remarkable, doesn't it? Well, that's what Kevin Backhurst said, and then he came back. I just wonder, does he... <laughs> yeah, I'm putting uh, a question mark at the end of my sentence there. Uh, uh, yeah, well, <laughs> I just wonder, in Kevin Backhurst, how much he, does he regret having left what I think was a better paid job in Ofcom in the UK, maybe a certain degree of pride. So, well, I was overlooked in 2016. I should have had the job. I'll do it. And he did actually form an attachment both to Ireland and to RTE. And I think you have to give him great credit in some respects for having decided that even though all the shit was hitting the fan about what had happened with the Ryan Tuberty payments and D Forbes and the flip-flops and all the rest of it. But I wonder now in his quieter moments, does he actually wonder... Was it actually worth it? Well, I dare to make a prediction that he'll be on a, a flight back to the UK before the year's out. He don't... I don't think he'll last. I don't think he'll last. Well, that, will, will he be pushed or will he I jump? Know. I don't know that. Because I, I mean, be a combination I mean, of both. I, the one thing, I know you've been very critical and I think you make relevant points and that his expertise is editorial and it's regulatory and it isn't that necessarily that financial cost cutting that is required. I think that's a fair thing to say. But I think he's an exceptionally well motivated and I think he has the best interest, as he perceives, of RT at heart. And I think he should be given credit for it. I, I don't think he would leave easily, but he wouldn't be human if he didn't think on many occasions, what the hell am I after doing to myself here? Well, I, I think they're losing two million a week. Go figure. Okay, well... It, of course, again, the government is actually kicking the can down the road in relation to making a decision. They're leaving it to the next Yeah, I know. And this is a, both with the scoliosis case and this, a narrative has now come into dull answers. That's a matter for the next government. Yeah. You know, and that will be increasingly better. I think from June, the civil servants have taken a view they're going to stand back from every file and see who their next minister is. So a huge inertia will build from May, June onwards. Okay, let's talk a little bit about the referendums instead. And, uh, we have two referendums. We have the referendum in relation to the family and we have the referendum in relation to the carers. Do you think is it a done deal that both of them are going to pass? No, no, I don't. Uh, I, I think the hardest thing about this is actually uh, predicting what will come. I'll come back to that. So, Sorry, first, despite the fact that every political party, with the exception of A2, is going for yeah. a yes, yes on the two referenda, uh, almost nearly every NGO is going certainly yes on the first, the majority on the second, some sort of with caveats are agreeing to the second one. Let's talk about the the, um, the family one first and the introduction of the phrase durable relationships into this particular one. Yeah. Now, first of all, I have a complaint to make, which is that last Tuesday between five and six, I was on my treadmill walking slowly because uh, it was raining outside. I couldn't go for my riverside walk. And I tuned into this program, The Last Word. Now, it's an hour of my life I won't get back again, <laughs> insofar as that it had two people for no, uh, well-known people. Michael, Michael McToole and, and Brenda, Brenda Power. Power. And, and two NGO people. No. Uh, one, no, no. Uh, one carers, was you it? Know, Karen Kiernan from One Family. Yeah. 
And the other was not an NGO person, it was a Fianna Fáil senator, oh, that's right. Fiona O'Loughlin. Yeah, yeah, and who I'm told is actually going to get elected in Kildare next time out with the redraw of the constituencies really suit her. Uh, I was talking to one of my number crunchers and they said one definite Fianna Fáil gain was there. But anyway, so... I, I listened very carefully and I did it kind of because I knew we were going to talk about today afresh as if I was coming to this for the first time. And basically the argument in favour of changing Article 1 is that basically... 41, sorry. Sorry, 41. Um, so they're adding in the words, the state recognised the family whether founded on marriage or other durable relationships. So what it purports to do is extend the definition of a family. It doesn't say that marriage is abolished or it doesn't say you don't need to get married. And I think it's always important on these referendums to, first of all, say, what baggage do I have? So I I always joke that, you know, if I murdered you, Matt, I would probably get 12 years in prison. What did Justifiable I do? homicide, is it? Well, the point is this. What did I do to get 38 years with Deirdre? Uh, you know what I mean? So, like, the, the, what crime did I commit? But, all joking aside, it was the best decision I ever made. My marriage went through a rocky patch at one point in time, but actually, I, I now at 64 and down the road, I, I actually think the institution is something I feel very strongly about. And so, therefore, I'm coming at it with all that comfort, bias, and, and so on. And, you know, when the churches come out and say, why would people bother to get married? You know, this and abolishing motherhood, which we will come to separately. And I listened carefully to what was the central argument of those voting no, McDowell and those, and saying, look, what is a durable relationship? This would be left up to the courts. And he went on to explain uh, that there was this lone parent who was with a man and had a child. The man then leaves and has two children with another woman and then has a third relationship. Which is the durable relationship? Is it A, B or C? And I actually said, hold on a second. Hold on a second. I have been in committee rooms. I did the Child Care Act and different pieces of legislation. And you know what? I would rather judges, like those judges who listened to in detail to both sides of the story in the John O'Mara case. This was the case in January whereby they weren't married, had three children, but he was given a widower's pension. He wasn't given a widower's pension. By the department, but on appeal, the courts gave gave it to him. So I actually think, you know what, the best place for all law to be interpreted, whether it's statute law, whether it's aspirational constitutional law, is in the courts. So actually, the fundamental premise that Michael McDougall is putting forward, I totally disagree with because it's only when you hear the plaintiff, defendant of both sides of the argument, you can tease out, well, which of those relationships are the most durable? Which are the one we should go with? And I think it should be that way. And therefore, the, the Constitution doesn't be prescriptive about defining it. It'll be left to the courts. And I think three cheers for that. OK, there's a couple of things I want to bring up in this. And I suppose I'm a little bit hamstrung by the fact that Unlike you, I'm still presenting a daily radio show, so I have to be entirely objective. Well, it is one of the secrets of fashion how Matt is going to vote. Absolutely. <laughs> As I always say, not even my wife or children know how I vote. And I haven't made up my mind yet so in I'm relation yes, to this. So I'm voting yes, by the way. Yes, that's fair. That okay, yeah. I'm interested. I think the referendum, the deletion is a good one. I would say that, on which the family is founded. Because... The reality well, can we is, finish our durable relationships first? We, we, cause no, that no, is, that I, is a, I will oh, yes, get to this. Yes, yes, Sorry, yes, just yes, give yes, me yes. a second okay, I will get yes. to it. Because we do have all sorts of families now. There's so many children are born not because of marriage. And 
you can understand why there was a crowd. It's the insertion of the line in relation to whether founded our marriage and other durable relationships as to whether you're giving an equivalence to these other durable relationships with marriage. And this, I suppose, comes back to the point that you made about the importance of the institution of marriage. And within the last decade, we had another major referendum in which we doubled down on the importance of marriage because what we said was we actually value marriage so much we want to extend it to same-sex couples, that we don't believe that marriage should be restricted exclusively to heterosexual couples. So here we are within a decade of actually almost copper fastening and strengthening the way we look at marriage, that we are now coming and saying, well, it's the same as other durable relationships. And I suppose, and this is tangential, but it is actually relevant. Isn't it a pity that we actually got rid of civil partnerships back in that time as well? Because, okay, I know civil partnerships doesn't apply to single parents or it doesn't apply to grandparents and their children, which are also families which have to be catered for in the Constitution. But, you know, there, as I think there was one argument that Michael McDoon made the other night that resonated with me, that if you want to end a marriage, you have to go through a process a formal process to have it dissolved. And to make provision and make for provision the kids of the of first that. marriage. If yes. there are children, there yes. aren't necessarily yeah. children, but even so. Uh, but a durable relationship sort of can disappear into the ether. There is no formal documentation or process by which... And that strikes me as a little bit odd. Well, well and in fairness, Justine McCarthy in the Irish Times wrote a really good argument about a French case where they have these things called PACs, which means for tax purposes, for social welfare purposes, for succession and property law, they have the equivalent of a civil partner. There is nothing to stop the Dole reenacting civil partnerships. There is nothing in this referendum to stop. That is the matter of the Dole. And actually, this, this, this you know, doesn't uh, preclude it. But I just want to say sorry, this. Can I, can I just say, is there an argument here as well that, you know, that we shouldn't, sort of give all sorts of recognition and benefits to people who don't go to the effort of getting married or forming a civil partnership. No, the primacy of marriage is still is still set out in the Constitution. Mm. There is an obligation to, uh, to uh, look after it. But uh, can I say this? We've been through a number of referendums take the divorce one. We had two goes of the divorce one. You spoke about marriage equality. In every single referendum, about 40% or so of the electorate voted against it. And a lot of people are persuaded by these. And, you know, if you believe these people, once they were enacted and passed, that the roof was going to fall in, that the world wouldn't keep turning. And you know what? Their fears. So I'm hearing about throuples. I'm hearing about one night stands and so on. And I actually think that Michael McDool is doing a disservice in this extent, that he is, and, you know, yesterday he was coming out 10 barristers against, you know what I mean? It's the same people, you know, Brenda and him. And the fact well, of the matter Maria is... Maria Steen and others yeah, who were well, involved in the no And let me also say this, let me also say this. Let's just respect the process here. There were various commissions and reports done as far back as 1996 into this. The civil, the, the citizens' assembly then was followed by an Oireachtas committee. And people had an opportunity at various, so this is not this, this has come out of the blue. It's come out of decades of fine tuning and so on. And I think if you're voting no, you're disrespecting the entire democratic process. Well, indeed, actually, if you give the government some credit, at least they've decided to grasp the nettle on this, unlike 
successive governments, going back, as you say, as far as 1996, who consecutively bottled it. Yeah. So I'm saying in my cosy marital situation, am I going to be selfish enough to say that I won't confer family status to other people who are in different circumstances. And in the same way with marriage equality, in the same way giving people a second chance at remarriage was what divorce was about, I actually think we need the generosity of spirit to do it. And I think we should vote yes. And and to be honest with you, the case for both referendums, because we're going to come on to the, 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 the carers one. I mean, I, I actually think, you know what, this is aspirational law. The world won't change. In fact, it's much ado about very little. And insofar as protecting everyone's interests, I think the courts are the best people to do it. Okay, the government in the second referendum is proposing the deletion in its entirety of Article 41.2, which reads, In particular, the state recognises that by her life within the home, woman gives to the state a support without which the common good cannot be achieved. The state shall therefore endeavour to ensure that mothers shall not be obliged by economic necessity to engage in labour to the neglect of their duties in the home. Okay, and I know I said I'm sort of saying that uh, I'm taking a neutral position and the rest of it. I suppose my neutral... like a cork referee. Yeah, my neutral (laughs) position might be in relation to the wording of what replaces certain things. That's where I maybe would have my doubts. But my God... Surely that has to go. That, that, that's the point. And you see, people have said, oh, the minister is wrong to say a woman's place in the home. The constitution doesn't say that. But actually something much more damaging to women is in the second part of which you've highlighted, the neglect of their duties in the home and the pejorative female sense their duties. And again, that just, has to go. Yeah, again, Justine McCarthy, who you mentioned, who is one of our finest journalists, who only I worked with many years ago in the Irish Independent, and I think she's absolutely wonderful. She wrote a terrific piece in relation to this in the Irish Times showing how Archbishop Charles McQuaid got involved with Eamon de Valera in actually putting these phrases into the Constitution and there's no doubt it was about putting women in their place as, and, far, as, and, as far as the men And were let's concerned. be clear about this. I, in my lifetime, in, I, I first was elected to the council in 79. I was in politics in the 80s. The truth of it was, my as I was growing up and becoming an adult, There was a clear stigma in Wexford and in rural Ireland that if you were an unmarried mother, that's what they're called in those days, there was a stigma against them. They were women of loose morals and they had got themselves, quote unquote, into trouble. And where did all that come from? It came from the McQuaid Catholic Church language that was planted into the Constitution. And it has to go. I'm sorry, it has to go. Yeah, but then what about the... Replacement. Is this where the government perhaps has complicated things unnecessarily rather than just going for straightforward deletions of language or which gender is equality outdated. as proposed by the citizens? Where just where it says woman, say parent, you know yeah. what I mean? Like I think that there was a mistake made there because you opened a Pandora's box because most of the disability groups and those against this element of the referendum are criticising it, not for what's in it, but that it doesn't go far enough. Well, yeah, or else, yeah, because things like the phrase shall strive to is the key word, it seems, to support care within families, which stops short of committing guaranteed support. But I suppose the thing to say here is, Ivan, is that can the state ever guarantee things like that? I mean, it can guarantee maybe certain liberties, but can the state, given its failures in so many respects, to deliver things to people who need it actually guarantee rather than offering to strive to support carers. 
Well, the truth is, and this is the honest truth, that all of this is aspirational. There is no legal compulsion on any government to do anything arising out of this. But can I say where this, where this really hits home is this. There are women of a certain age that have not had a career in business or in profession or whatever. And their pride and joy is that they reared six children. And on their deathbed, they will say, those kids are my legacy and I dedicated my whole life to do it. And then there are other people who maybe dedicate themselves to a career or both. And there is this underlying tension because the first question you asked me, is it going to pass or not? I hear the women who are in the former categories who've dedicated their life to the supporting their family and doing everything. And sorry, and the nation owes them. You know, I've said before, you know, those who rock the cradle rule the world and so on. So like, I'm not in any way diminishing that because I think when you get to the end of your life's journey, you, your legacy is actually your children. Yeah, but that's choice and that's a worthy no, but, but choice those women, those women, uh, when, when, when the Catholic Church says, this is a dog whistle, you know, you're abolishing any reference to motherhood in the Constitution. That is a dog whistle to those people to say, you and your life contribution is being undermined. I actually think that is utterly disingenuous because every adult, male or female, is entitled to choose whatever path they want, whether it's a dual path or, or, or absolutely obsessed with their career and saying, I want no kids. Good luck to them all. And I, I, I actually think that, you know, what they're suggesting this does, abolishing motherhood, of course it doesn't abolish motherhood. It's ridiculous. But then the problem is that if you leave ambiguities in the wording that you provide the I opportunity. I think that's a good thing. Oh, no, sorry, but do you think so? Yeah, because they, they, it'll leave discretion to oh, judges. Of course. Yeah, and, and sorry, and you know, there's tiers of courts. You know, there's district, circuit, uh, high court, appeal court, supreme court. They can fine tune these things, you know, and then you have European law. So I actually think, you know, this, this bogeyman and, and remember, you know, with McDool, he has form. He deprived us of proper powers for Oireachtas inquiries by 120,000 votes. He's at it again. Please, I've bought that snake oil before and I'm not buying it now. He was also responsible, wasn't he, as Minister for Justice for the referendum in relation to automatic citizenship for people born in the country. Okay. Put it like, put it like this. You agree with that no, one, Well, No, you? no, I'll put it like this. I, I actually am not, not fully briefed on that, but what, what, what I want to say to you is this, that... You know, I I think that in that referendum about inquiries, he was actually acting in the best interest of the legal profession. And uh, all the AGs consistently have acted in the best interests of the uh, uh, legal profession as opposed to the public interest. OK, a question for you, and this is more, I suppose, the political ins and outs. Does it actually matter to a government whether it wins or loses a referendum? It's on things like, obviously, you know, back in the day when you were active in politics, the abortion and divorce referendums were absolutely central. They were incredibly important. But if you look at all the other referenda that we've had since, you know, Enda Kenny loses the referendum the to abolish the Shannon. Yeah. Who really remembers? Who really cares? Uh, the Fine Gael government won the referendums in relation to extending marriage equality and also in relation to abortion rights. 
And did they get any benefit politically whatsoever from having introduced those social changes? And 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 again, to make my point that the, the Constitution, one of the effects of, of that provision, Article 42, was in the public sector between the 1920s right through to 1973, there was a public bar. If you got married and you were a woman, yeah. you could not be employed in the public sector. The fact that that was abolished in 1973, rightly, the Constitution as it was didn't stop that. So my point is this, a lot of the things that the Oireachtas want to do, that the public would like to see done, can be done with or without the Constitution. And, you know, there's a lot of countries like Britain don't have a written Constitution. OK, let's chat about other things. So um, the Roger Gorman of the Greens, of course, is the man who is actually in charge of this referendum, uh, winning for the government um, the Greens, you've had Catherine Martin in the firing line about RTE. You have Eamon Ryan very much in the firing line again uh, from Michael O'Leary giving out about mm. Dublin Airport press conference this week. Although I note that uh, Michael O'Leary is far more forgiving of the, the Boeing boss who allows doors to go flying off the aircraft and now isn't yeah, able to that's deliver. That's a gratuitous cut. <laughs> well, no, if you think of the gratuitous, <laughs> that's a gratuitous cut. Sorry. No, Michael he, is sorry, making no, a point no, in no, the no, national I, interest. I make, he's <laughs> making, he thinks that maybe there's a happy coincidence between the national interest and, and his own interest. there is. Yeah, there is. But uh, he's been far uh, kinder to a man, Dave Calhoun in Boeing, who's not going to be able to deliver him 17 aircraft as promised this summer for the summer routes. That'll cost Ryanair an awful lot more money than not having extra capacity into and out of Dublin. Dublin Airport. Yeah, and, and, and you know, you can rest assured in private, he's lawyering up on all of those issues <laughs> and getting his pound of flesh. But no, but the, the, sorry, my, Michael's central point is, if you put up a notice that Dublin is closed for extra business, that business will go elsewhere. People, you know, people like Ireland in for tourism from America or from Asia is a secondary destination. Most people who come here have already decided to go to the UK and they have had an add-on. It's very easily substitutable and he's absolutely right that our tourism industry and so on will suffer. The reason I bring all that up is that it did strike me and this is something I'm writing for the Business Post. The Greens are in trouble with your central point. Yeah, because if you think about it, various government ministers have had major issues in the lifetime of this government. So you would have had Helen McEntee as recently as last November to vote on no confidence. Stephen Donnelly has taken some serious hits along the way in health, Darrow O'Brien in housing. But at the moment, just as we're coming close to the European elections and the local elections, and as we're getting close to the general election, it strikes me that it's the Green Party ministers who are the lightning rod for most of the troubles for the government at present, which can't be good for their prospects when it comes to the election. But then it struck me as interesting as well that the Nature Restoration Bill getting through the European Parliament this week and the Irish voting on it was 11 in favour, including the Fine Gael MEPs who have turned in favour of it, having initially been against it. And their EPP parent party being the main people voting against, against it. it. So then you have in the opposition, it was Chris McManus of Sinn Féin, who's a bit of an outlier when it comes to voting, which makes you wonder, is he going on solo runs or is he following a Sinn Féin position, not just on the nature of restoration, but in votes in relation to Ukraine as well. And the other person who was completely against it, not for the reasons you about Luke Ming Flanagan. Mm. And he was very much going, there's not enough money set aside for the farmers or the turf cutters or whatever and stuff, that if you're going to have, and he made the, the argument that a lot of what's in this nature restoration bill, aspirational stuff about rewilding, but nowhere near enough detail as to how it would actually be done and how it would be financed. I wonder how much of this, this could, could this be the Irish version of the culture wars? 
at climate change because, sorry, there was also major EPA report this week which showed that while everybody's concerned about climate change and the impact on their lives, the vast majority of people don't want to actually have their lifestyles or their incomes affected by trying to cope for it. Yeah. Nature restoration law, I actually did a good bit of work. There was a public meeting in Tullamore last May organised by the IFA against this. And what actually happened was... Uh, so let's put it in simple terms, 20% of Europe land, they're not only going to protect it, they're going to restore it. So this means for our 300,000 acres of bogland, peatland, right, where it's been drained, they will actually block the drains. They will re-wet it so that it will sequester carbon better. It'll be a more acidic soil and so on, which means it won't grow grass, okay? And so therefore, farmers uh, rightly would be very concerned that with state aid, they would have drained this land and now this process will be reversed. And it effectively could even sterilise some of the land. What actually happened was... Uh, during the passage of the legislation, it was completely neutered. In other words, it's now voluntary on farmers whether to do this rewetting or not. And secondly, the people it compels is Bordnamona and Kielce to do it, which suits the farmers fine. So actually, that is why Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil voted for it, because they nobbled great aspects of this on en, en route. Is rewetting this land a good idea, though? Well, put it like this, if you're a farmer, uh, this grazing, summer grazing stock is not a good idea. If, 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 if you're interested in simply pre- preserving biodiversity and 80% of biodiversity species and so on are under threat in Ireland and across Europe. Uh, so it very much, they increase the, the grant aid. Want. There's 46,000 farmers in what's called the Acres program. It's used to be called the REP scheme. And basically they get paid a supplement for being custodians of, of the environment. You know, they wouldn't get rid of a ditch or something like that to allow biodiversity birds to nest and so on. But isn't this what the people want? I mean, we had a Citizens' Assembly in Biodiversity, which came out very strongly about the need for something strong to be done to try not just to protect what we have, but to restore what we've lost. Yeah, and even, even more striking the EU Commission proposed a new directive on pesticides, you know, herbicides and pesticides in relation to crops and they actually withdrew it. Uh, you know, the, you spoke, alluded to the, the protests and so on. But put it like this, uh, uh, what has now been enacted is a pale imitation of what was originally proposed and the heat has gone out of the objections to this. Hence Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil uh, voting for it. OK, so does that mean then that there won't be a backlash against the Greens in the rural constituencies in which they stand? Oh, that's perpetual. I mean, like if, if I got a euro for every time someone stood up at the back of the hall and said, we want to burn an effigy of Eamon Ryan, you know, I'd be a wealthy man. The fact of the matter, and that's the motor industry as well. So the, the fact of the matter is that, but I mean, my central point in all this is, if the Greens only get two seats, all the directives, sustainability finance, CSRD, uh, sustainability reporting, uh, energy efficiency on buildings, SDD, uh, sustainable due diligence, all of these are coming, no matter who's in government, and they are going to become Irish law. You know, you've spoken before about Fine Gael people, senior Fine Gael people, whether they're lining up jobs elsewhere for after this government, which has made me wonder, could Eamon Ryan be maybe thinking similarly? Because he's been given sort of roles within the EU for chairing big, important climate change issues and whatever. And could it be that he's sort of trying to go out on a blaze of glory? I saw even like last night, he was in the Dropping Well pub in Milltown 
uh, talking about actually looks like he's got a deal with Milltown Golf Club. I mean, Milltown Golf Club, which is the, the elite inside in Dublin 6, that part of their land would now be used for a cycleway and that he wants people, get this, for going to matches at Lansdowne Road to cycle from Ratfarnham and Talla and all the rest of it. He used to be in the bicycle business, he was, didn't he? Yeah. I mean, my, my view on that Maybe is, he's going back to that. May, I don't know where there would be thousands be, of... Uh, be fixing bike tyres. <laughs> I don't know where there, were, there would <laughs> be room to park <laughs> thousands of bicycles outside the Aviva Stadium without getting them all nicked. But could it be that between, you know, between that, between, you know, making sure that... We don't get the Vote motorway. Vote for Ryan, get your bike fixed. <laughs> we don't get the Cork Limerick motorway. We don't get the uh, we don't get the expansion of Dublin Airport, but we do get a push towards the Metrolink. That there's loads of money spent on cycling and walking facilities. That he's trying, and then you'll have the Dublin city centre carsing. That between now and what he hopes will be February March next year. He will do as many green things as he possibly can, knowing that he's not going to be back in the next government. Yeah. He'll do everything he can now, and then he might slip off to a really big job in Europe. Yeah, well, I, I, I think he needs to form an orderly queue because Leo and Simon and Pascal are all ahead of him in the queue for top jobs, and they have bigger parties uh, supporting them. Look, if the Greens get two seats in the next election, the Green agenda will continue absolutely on target and will not change. This is all top-down stuff. There is a pattern here. The Greens get a dozen seats, they get into government and they get absolutely kiboshed. It happened, you could go back to uh, Roger the Rabbit Garland, you can go to <laughs> Trevor Sargent, you can go to, who is the, uh, John Gormley. Like they all have had to find subsequent careers. Yeah, well Eamon Ryan is some survivor. He, he was is. a member of that government that went and, out and he, in he 2011. And he actually kept the party going on his own. And yeah. you remember he ran for the presidency, was it at one stage or something? Or he alluded to that? But like, no, but he basically... He never ran for it. No, they know, but like at the end of the day, at the end of the day, uh, nature restoration law it is not going to be uh, a rock on the road one way or the other. And we're probably paying a little bit more attention to how people vote in the European Parliament now that we're coming up to elections in June. You want to bring up the issue of how they vote in relation to Ukraine. Why? Well, first of all, I I thought there was real menace in the speech by Putin. Uh, 71 years of age, going by American standards, he has another decade in power. He certainly will be re-elected any time he wants it, unanimously almost. He he actually said in response to Macron that he reserved the right to have a nuclear attack on the territory of any country in Europe that sent soldiers into Ukraine. Oh my God. Like, how can people be neutral about our own European state being attacked or union of states, whatever you like to call it? And, and you know, Claire Daly, Mick Wallace and Luke Ming Flanagan are sort of in a nice way indulged by the public because we need a little bit of entertainment from their politics. They're larger than life. They're seen to be principled. They're seen to be anti-establishment, which we increasingly love. But at the end of the day, you know, actions have consequences. We saw with Orban, was it, in in terms of, of Hungary, that actually... Giving any sucker to Putin is a bad idea because you could have... Now, I see in Moldova that there are separatists there saying, we're Russian, please attack, uh, you know, our country. The fact of the matter is this. This is this is a vital national interest for us and our way of life in Western civilization. civilization. It's put a threat by Putin and MPs voting against packages which were agreed by all 27 European leaders has to be called out for what it is, treacherous. 
Okay, and I suppose that also makes you worry. Victor Orban this weekend is in Florida getting a, a big welcome from Donald Trump. And given how Trump has been encouraging Putin in all this as well, it means we have a significant reason to be worried about the potential of Donald Trump becoming the next American president. In terms of European security, there is real jeopardy there because he he's, his attitude is, I'd much rather give uh, American tax dollars uh, back to American taxpayers than pay for America's role as a world policeman. And it, it, it's a populist message of isolation. And, and actually, the truth of it is, we shouldn't have to rely on America for that. When will I get a chance to, uh, for two weeks now, I've been trying consistently to expose the biggest scandal in this country. We will get to that. I know what you want to talk about, but just one last thing in relation to... To the European Parliament elections. Well, no, not the European Parliament elections, just the whole thing. Trump, you know, he is the bigger of two evils in some respects, because I think a lot of Irish people as well are bitterly disappointed by Joe Biden's administration's continuing support for what Israel is doing in Gaza. And did you see what happened in Rochdale last night? George Galloway. No, but did you see for Keir Starmer? Like, there has to be, for those who've been four square behind Israel in the UK and the US and Europe, there is a payback coming. And last night was the first payback to Keir Starmer. Yeah, well, there's complicating issues there because the Labour candidate had made various yeah. comments. No, Labour was in disarray. But and Galloway is a nasty bit of work who is uh, just the, an ultimate political He's grifter. Though. He's an ultimate political grifter. He's been... Uh, Beholden to Russian is, and Iranian TV. <laughs> no, I, I, I wouldn't laugh at George okay. Galloway. He's a nasty okay. bit of work. Okay. And also, just remember, he was the guy who went on Celebrity Big Brother. And who ah, was, he uh, did the catch the thing. Cat I loved that. Miss, I know, I thought that was hilarious. I thought it was one of the most memorable uh, reality TV things. And he was on can four we get, Can we get you to do that? If I bring in and a was, saucer of milk for you next yeah, week. Up, and, and, and then he, he was kind of at the knees of this lady. I forget who she was. Lula Lenska, but I, the oh, actress. stop. It was memorable TV. Okay. Don't knock that. So does that mean, given that this is also available on YouTube, <laughs> that if I bring in a saucer or a milk for you next week. <laughs> no, I have two do beloved that. cats. They are the love of my life, Millie and Bella, and I'm quite happy to support them. But no, I mean, I'm just saying the point is, actions have consequences and the consequence for both Biden and Starmer of being 100% pro-Israel will have electoral consequences. Yeah. Now let's talk about your bugbear. Disqualified driver. And you know what? I'm, I'm very sympathetic to your position on this one. Well, it seems absolutely ludicrous that there are so many people driving on our roads who 12 penalty points disqualified are disqualified for more serious reasons and they continue to drive on. I want to say, because what I like to do is if I come across an article, whether it's Cliff Taylor or whoever, and I say, wow, I didn't know that. It's interesting. And I want to compliment the journal.ie on this. They did an article, which I've been trying to air here, into a study of disqualified drivers between 2021 and 2023. In total, there was 32,700. Now, there's two ways you become a disqualified driver. One is you don't go to court, you get 12 penalty points or more, accumulation of them. The other thing is you're actually prosecuted for dangerous driving, reckless driving, you're involved in an incident and you're banned off the road. What they found was, so we have all these campaigns from the RSA, all these Garda, hundreds of millions on the Garda traffic core, and at the end of the day, the end process is the bottom line is people are banned off the road who are either, you know, dangerous or uh, to society. What they found was out of these 32,000 that 16,000 of them who had been disqualified 
weren't asked to bring in their licence to the cop station uh, within two weeks. A lot of them actually were convicted and pleaded guilty in two particular cases. Here's one case in Dublin. A man pleaded guilty to one count of reckless endangerment and one count of dangerous driving after speeding away from a guard at checkpoint on the wrong side of the road, breaking red light, and it transpired he was already a disqualified driver. He shouldn't have been on the road. There was another case of a 23-year-old disqualified driver pleaded guilty to a charge of dangerous driving. He dragged a guard 40 metres along the road. So my point is this. Would the government, Mr. Government or Miss Government, whatever, please issue a tender? Because it is now, you don't need AI for this. There is a national database called the National Driver Licence Service. They know everyone and they simply, this is like parking. There was a thing where guys would go round with a parking ticket and people never paid the fine and never were, 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 did anything about it. And you know what happened? Along came the clampers. And by God, did they pay then when their car was impounded. We should change the law. Anyone caught driving without a driver's licence should actually have their car impounded, ring car zone and sell the goddamn thing. I guarantee you, you will not have 16,000 people convicted still on the road. The fact of the matter is, this is dysfunctional government. This is banana republic of the worst time. And simply, it is, it is an exercise you could do. We know every driver... It's all on a database. We know every car and simply match up. Sorry, why haven't you handed in your licence? And there should be a crackdown on this. Like, is it unreasonable that we would actually make this country fit for purpose? I I know something. I'll take it on a slightly different direction, which I think is worse. I've been amazed over the years to see cases where serious injury has been caused by drivers like this or even drivers who had a licence. And sometimes they have been imprisoned because so serious an offence. And they're told that they also disqualified from driving for 10 or 15 years. Every time I look at it, I go, what? You mean they're going to be allowed to drive again at some stage in the future? People who have dragged Gardaí along the roads, who have maimed other people, killed other people, and their lawyers go into court and say it would be a terrible injustice to them if they were to be prevented from ever driving again. And you go, get real. But it's, it's not. It's not after ten years. It's after ten days. These people well, are driving. This is like you have got to well, take I, their no, car away from I, them. I'm going into the bigger situation of like the more serious, egregious offence. The other thing as well is that when the people who are doing that, who are driving when they're disqualified, are not covered by insurance, which means it all falls back on the Motor Bureau yeah. of Insurance, and also means that every person who is driving with a legitimate licence and paying their insurance is paying extra towards subsidising these cheats. Absolutely. So we're paying 100 million on the Road Safety Authority. I think we're spending about two or 300 million on the traffic core in the Gardaí and, you know, those vans and all the rest of it and all the checkpoints and all the things they do. And I'd say about another 200, 300 million through the courts. For what? for a, 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 an ultimate sanction that is utterly disregarded. You wanted to ask me about the Fianna Fáil ad and the candidates. Oh, I'd forgotten about that, but you're right. Thank you for reminding me because we discovered last night, having sp- previously spoken about Barry Cowan getting the nomination, what's the constituency now? Ireland Midlands West, isn't it? Uh, Midlands Northwest. Northwest, okay. It straddles three provinces. Yeah, so, Connacht, um, Ulster and Leinster. So Barry Cowan won the nomination ahead of Neil Blaney with Lisa Chambers limping in third. And then there was the belief, well, they need a female candidate, so will they add Lisa Chambers in? They have, but they've also added Blaney in. So in a constituency in which they have no seats, they're running three candidates. Uh, what sort of well, well, action is that? 
Okay, well, let me give, be as rude to give Fianna Fáil a little history lesson. Uh, they ran two candidates previously, Pat the Cope Gallagher in, in uh, Donegal, perfectly respectable candidate, uh, was a proven vote-getter, proven minister, and they ran Thomas Byrne, TD, uh, you know. Junior minister yeah, now. And from Meath, from Meath. And you know what? They got enough votes uh, to have a seat in a four-seat constituency. But you know what? The good people of Donegal who voted for the Pat the Cope and the good people of Meath and the commuter counties didn't transfer to each other. It is very hard to get transfers. So actually... Is it possible from the, that the Fianna Fáil are going to rescue from the jaws of victory, defeat, in terms of splitting their vote three ways? Uh, Lisa Chambers, in my opinion, was only added because Maria Walsh had the uh, daft idea. And, 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 and okay, be careful what you wish for. We'll, we'll put that right on your doorstep in County Mayo against Maria Walsh. So, uh, that, but put it like this, I think it would be much better to add a female candidate in the southeast region for the south constituency because there is a kind of heel there of that geographically. The point is this. If, in my opinion... Fianna Fáil are going to get a seat, it will be Barry Cowan's seat and everything must be focused on getting transfers for that. He is the, the big jungle beast, he has the best name recognition. Outside of Sligo Leitrim, Donegal, Neil Blaney's a nice fella, but in my opinion, if you can't get elected to the Dáil, which is true of both Lisa and Niall, uh, you're going to find it very difficult to get elected to the European Parliament. So uh, Barry has, you know, he's, he's Brian's brother, uh, there's a Cowan dynasty there, like he's got name recognition, uh, he did very well at the convention, and like, what was the point of having convention where you eliminate two people only to add them back on? It's nonsensical. There, there was a case for actually adding one of them, which was probably Blaney, because of that heel up there in the north. But uh, it is simply incredible. But all eyes will be on on a number of, of conventions. Uh, this thing, I see Padre Tobin, is, who is on every programme, including The Last Word and other programmes, uh, he, he, he is standing. Uh, it is actually becoming quite a crowded space in a lot of these constituencies and uh, I think we will be into 12th and 3rd counts but uh, we will do a section uh, once all the cards are face up but uh, uh, the big problem for parties, as I said, some people in headquarters can't deliver a pizza, but delivering transfers between candidates. So you could end up with 26% of the vote and no seat. Go figure. OK, look, we leave it there. Um, we'll be recording again next Friday on the day when everyone's voting, so we won't be able to have a discussion about the outcome of the referendum, but the referendums, but hopefully uh, people will... Well, it is in doubt. I, I, I see McDowell predicted 60-40 against. Uh, I, I would have said, just anecdotally, uh, the women who play bridge and the women who are, are grannies are sort of the church moving and so on will have a certain impact but then someone else says how to many me, people someone play said bridge? to me my, my uncle's a priest <laughs> my brother's a priest but you know what the priest the Catholic church coming out will ensure that a younger generation will vote the other way yeah bridge talk about finding a minority card game <laughs> to actually use as your example very popular down the country <laughs> very popular in Dublin too with a small minority that's it for today thank you very much for having been with us don't forget, please recommend us to a friend or family member if you've liked it. Uh, please subscribe at Apple or Spotify or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And by the way, if you were confused by Ivan's reference to George Galloway and a saucer of milk, it's available if you look on YouTube. You will find the time that the new MP, George Galloway, appeared on Celebrity Big Brother and was miming the actions of a cat for the delectation of the actress Rula Lensky. Look it up because we don't want Ivan to try and recreate it next week. Until next time, goodbye.